0: 2 Peter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, this command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth and the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this... Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness that men of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.
1: Thanks, Fred. Uh, well, good morning, church. It's good to see what the Bible calls the remnant. It's just getting a, just getting a visual of it now. Uh, thanks for uh, being here on this uh, holiday weekend. And we pray, yeah, that those who are needing a break will, will get that. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, thanks, uh, Fred, uh, for reading, Daniel, uh, for praying, and, and the team for um, leading us in worship so far. And uh, We'll continue in worship now as we uh, look at the Word. We're uh, in the middle of just a short series looking at uh, what we call the last days. Last week we started this passage, did half of it. We're going to do not quite all the back half. Uh, we've got next week to go as well just to finish it all off. We've already seen uh, Peter's Uh, teaching and heard his teaching on this really huge topic of the last days, of the fact that we're living in a time between the first coming of Christ and his return. We're living in those days and we're looking to uh, the return, as people have been doing since Jesus left, because he promised he would come. And so today we're uh, looking at the the middle part of uh, this section of one of the letters of Peter where he goes on to say, okay, the day of the Lord is coming and we looked last week at some aspects of that. Last days has these sort of terms to it. Uh, Eschatology, the the theologians love these words, Uh, it just means the end times, teaching on the end times. Um, it, It has to do with the second coming, it has to do with the return of Christ. We mentioned of course last week Um, We're just looking at 2 Peter 3 this time, but you can go in a lot of places. If you want to jump into the Old Testament, you can look at uh, some of the minor prophets like Amos and Joel, um, some of the the major players in the Old Testament like Isaiah uh, and Daniel. You can, of course, in the New Testament, go to Revelation, that that, uh, well-known book for thinking about end times and some of the imagery and symbolism that that sort of book provides for what will happen uh, after uh, the return of Christ. Not. Heaps of detail, there's a lot there, but it's interesting what people bring out of books like Revelation. But that's there for you if you want to read what the Apostle John wrote under inspiration of God. Then, of course you can read the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25, one of the, the most uh, uh, concise summaries of, of Jesus himself. Uh, sharing with his followers about what the return, his return's going to be. And of course, uh, one of Paul's major parts is uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 through 5, if you want to hear a little bit about what Paul is saying about this topic. So there's a number of places to get that. Um, Last week, super quick, we talked about, and it was just read to us again by Fred, um, the purpose that he writes is to stir us up, Peter says, to wholesome thinking. That's a good um, purpose for any engagement in the Word of God, isn't it? to stir us up to wholesome thinking, to think right about God, about his world, about who we are, to stir us up to wholesome thinking. Um, that's what we should be doing together as we look at the word of God. We, um, we read where he, he asked uh, his readers to recall some things, three in particular, recall the prophets of old as they spoke about it, recall the words of Jesus himself and recall the words of the apostles in their own lifetime about the teaching of uh, the end times. And so he then got into the day of the Lord and he said, Hey, there are scoffers around. There are people who, who don't want to know about this. There are people who don't want to know that Jesus, the man who came and showed us what God was like, the man who came and lived just, holy, uh, right, um, the, the man who, who showed us the love of God, the man who sacrificed his life. People don't want to know he's coming back because he's coming back this time to judge. He came the first time to save. He's coming the second time to judge. They don't want to know about that. And so they're saying, well, look, he hasn't come back yet. Um, He's probably not coming. They're scoffing at it. They're cynics. Um, They're they're disregarding the things of God and they're saying, the Bible says, Peter. uh, we looked at Peter's words last week, simply to say they follow their own evil desires. He's not coming back, so let's just goof off. Let's just live it up because he's not coming back anyway. He's not back now. He hasn't been back for decades Um, Let's just live it up. Peter then reminded them, no, the judgment is coming. God created the earth. He then flooded the earth, saving Noah's family as a judgment the first time on the rebelliousness and the sinfulness of, of humanity. And he's coming back. Don't think that he's not. He created it. He's already judged it once. He said he'll never do that again by flood. And he's coming to wrap up history and judge finally. Why the delay? He writes to say, well, God's timing is not our timing. A thousand days is but a day, and a thousand years is but a moment. You know, it, It's just a different calendar with God. We're impatient. God is not. God is working his plans out. We either trust him or we don't. And then, of course, Peter's beautiful description of the heart of God to say the main reason he is delaying is because he desires all to repent. He knows they won't. The, the Scripture says desires all to repent. It's not saying God will cause all, God has given us free will, we exercise it. And when we exercise it against him, uh, there are consequences for that. God makes that very clear. And so he's waiting so that all might respond. And that when he comes, he'll come like a thief. The very words of Jesus, he'll come like a thief. When you don't know, you won't be able to get ready for this. You don't stand on the roof with bags packed waiting. That's not what Jesus is saying, and it's not what the Bible teaches. So, a bit of background as we get into uh, this week. Just wanted uh, one of the, the commentators that I was reading uh, had this really great paragraph. This is from the Bible Speaks Today. Uh, great, if you're leading Bible studies, in particular this series, the Bible Speaks Today series is really uh, a good series to think about um, uh, info for teaching and uh, preparing talks, but certainly Bible studies, it's designed for that purpose. Uh, it's a great a great series. So speaking on, on the passage that we've just read, as we've just read again about this judgment to come, and it's significant, isn't it? It's, it's no easy thing to talk about the coming judgment. We all like to just talk about the good things of God, the promises of God, his love, his goodness, his care. We just like... to to sit in that, that little promise, you know, the flip promises you have. I doubt you'll ever see one of those little flip promises that said the the world is going to end with fire. I don't think you'll find it in there. That could be a little bit of a wake-up call that morning to just read that to your kids and think, oh, OK, we'll just look to the next one. We sometimes don't like talking about this. It's the old-school fire and brimstone stuff that we... No, we've moved on from that. Well, no, we haven't. We cannot move on from the word of God, and we cannot move on from one of the most significant issues that face us, which is that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but he is. And that coming will involve a judgment. This is what the commentators, just at the point we're at, we got to verse 10 last week, we're about to start verse 11, and this is uh, what the commentator is saying. This, this terrifying picture, and Peter does mean it to be terrifying, may be difficult for our modern minds to grasp, but no more difficult than for the ancient world. This once and for all end to our space-time home is beyond our imagination. But Peter would want to say say that we should not be relying on our imagination. If we rely on that, then we manufacture a God who is too small to be the creator, judge and saviour of the universe, which is precisely what the false teachers, the scoffers, have done. Instead, we must rely on the description of God contained in his word. It might seem that we are taking a massive risk in presenting such a God to our non-Christian friends, that we might fear that they will call us primitive and naive. But the Bible starts and finishes with a God who creates a universe and then creates a new universe, who makes us in his image and then remakes us in his image. A God who is God, who says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I thought that was a great way to think about this. We sometimes think, oh, let's not talk about judgment. My friends or my family may not like it. But we need to talk about judgment because this is a part of what God reveals to us. This is a significant part of God's wrapping up of history as we know it and bringing in a new era altogether. This is significant stuff and we need to wrestle with it. So as we jump into the text today that we're up to, let me just pray briefly. Father, we again come before you and your word. We again sit under the authority of your word. We are not above it. We don't pick and choose what we like about it. We sit under the authority of your holy word. And we ask that as you are present here, that you might lead and guide us. Help us to think with you. Help us to wrestle with these thoughts from your scripture, that we might live for your glory and live for the blessing of others, that they might hear and respond to Jesus as well. And so be a part of your ongoing eternal plans for life as you intended. And so we ask, Lord, that you would indeed be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we think about things like the end of the world, we we often hear uh, the the scientists, the, the, the cosmologists, the astrophysicists talking about you know, the winding down of, of, of the sun. or You know, it's, it's growing colder. It, it, it's getting old uh, as a star. And, and the universe itself. You know, the sun's going to go one day and the universe is going to go one day and implode in this cold, impersonal sort of realm. Um, the, 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 the public speakers are, are talking about some of this stuff. The secular researchers are talking about this impersonal end to... Uh, the cosmos, uh, a demolition of it, basically. And so what's the point? They often say, let's just enjoy what we've got here because it's not going to last. And so what we do need to ask is, well, what does the future hold then? Is it going to end like that? And does that determine what we do or not? What does the future hold? And we come to this next verse that we're up to, verse 11, 2 Peter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be, ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So Peter's saying since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, um, Peter has gi- uh, given us a, uh, a picture of the future and it does have this cosmic destructive note to it that some of our secular researchers are saying, the cosmologists and, and the astrophysicists and, and they're all saying a similar thing but it's very different in its intent. After the judgment uh, is so terrifyingly portrayed by Peter, what is the point of anything? Is there any hope? It's a fairly bleak picture in that sense, but Peter goes right in there to say, yeah, there is reason to be hopeful because of what God is actually doing. It's not going to be an impersonal end to the universe. It's going to be a personal God who returns to draw us to an account. This is not going to be impersonal at all. Peter indicates we've got a responsibility to live a certain way in light of that news that the Creator is returning to wrap things up. We have a responsibility to live a certain way. So instead of an impersonal implosion, we're called to look ahead and get ready for a personal return of the one who made the whole thing, a very different perspective. And so Peter says, because of that, how should you live? That's a great question, because we are going to give an account... So Peter goes straight in here to hold a challenge for us. What does the future hold? Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to live holy and godly lives. Peter doesn't give us a restrictive list of do's and don'ts. He just says you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to this day, the day of God, the day of the Lord. It's called a number of things in the Bible. It all refers to the same thing, the day of the return of Christ. And so rather than be constrictive, he gives this expansive little summary, live holy and godly lives. A summary of that is simply to say to live like Jesus. Live like the one who came and showed us what holiness is like by obeying the Father. To show, um, to, he came and showed us how to live a godly life, how to trust God, how to be a person in the scripture, how to pray. Jesus shows us all these things, how to live a holy and godly life. Rather than constricting, Peter is saying, there's plenty that we can do. We can live like Jesus and enjoy the life that God has given us. It's not this tight do this and don't that, rather the opposite. It's to live like Jesus, to love the things he loves, to hate the things, though, that he hates, injustice and, and, and manipulation and cruelty. Um, we know God doesn't like those things. And so we are to live like the one who showed us what life's about by giving ourselves away to others, by serving by living lives of compassion and, and care for others. This is an invitation to experience all the goodness of God by living holy and godly lives, by living in the light of the return of Christ. Notice what Peter says we can actually do. We can speed the coming of the Lord, verse 12. Isn't that interesting? We don't know when it's going to happen, but we can speed the coming. We can be a part of setting the stage for the return of Christ. That's what Peter is saying here, and he's not the only one saying it in the Bible. Did you catch the significance of that? We can actually, by living this way, speed the coming. By living like Jesus, in holiness, in godliness, in gracious, compassionate, joyful living, we can actually speed the coming. For example, when we pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus Jesus taught us, we're praying that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying your kingdom come. We're, we're praying by the Lord's Prayer, Lord, come. And as we fulfil and live out things like the Lord's Prayer, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be getting on with the work of Jesus, to tell people about him, to live in a way that honours him. We can speed its coming. It's a courageous prayer because only those who would be living for Jesus would want the judge of all the earth to return, yeah? Why would you want the judge to come back if you weren't hopeful that he is doing something in your life and coming back for you? You wouldn't want to do that if you weren't living right. Another way we speed the coming is by our witness. and We've been saying that last week. We need to say it again this week with this text. If God is delaying his own... Um, Uh, he's delaying his return because he desires more people to repent, then if we get on with the mandate of Jesus to make disciples of all nations, then more will have the opportunity to hear and repent. And so it speeds the coming. Listen to what Jesus said back in Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all all the nations and then the end will come. That's an interesting thing that Jesus himself says. He didn't say a date. He doesn't know in that, uh, uh, in that sense when he was here as the incarnate son of God. This is what he said. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached. He'll return and, and you guys get on with the preaching of the gospel. It'll be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. What an encouragement to put our energies into mission, into reaching Others, our community, our families, the nations. Listen to one of Peter's early sermons, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent and turn to God. Repent just means to turn around, literally. Stop following your way and follow God's way. So he just says, turn from living for yourself and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The more people that get on with hearing, responding, repenting, Peter's early sermon says the Messiah will come. So what does the future hold? Well, not panic and hopelessness and who cares that the world is spiralling into an impersonal, destructive end. Rather, because of the return of Jesus, we have an exciting opportunity to live for him, to live godly and holy lives, where prayer and witness and compassion for the world will hasten the day of his return. God is in his house. He's still on his throne, and he's wrapping up the world that we might get ready for his coming. So what does the future hold? The personal return of God. Oops, these buttons are very close together. The personal return of Christ. um, The future holds hope, so live holy and blameless lives. The future holds purpose. And we can get on with that, actually speeding the return of Christ through our prayer, things like the Lord's Prayer and through our witness. So that's what the future holds. But the question is, well, who holds the future? Peter keeps going. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The end is not coming via an impersonal cosmic implosion, but rather the end is coming by the hand of a loving creator God who knows us and who's coming back for those who believe, bringing judgment though on those who don't. It's a serious matter. God is is involved with his creation. He has been since the beginning and he will be as he wraps it all up. Not necessarily bringing it to an end, it's actually bringing it to another beginning. We'll explore in a moment what that actually looks like. So Peter re- repeats again here his vivid and horrible description of the destruction of the heavens and the earth. He's bringing it up again. He's only just talked about it. He's bringing it up again. He introduces the thought that all this is in keeping with God's promise, but in keeping with his promise, verse 13, this has all been laid down before. There is nothing new here catching believers or anyone by surprise. He has made it clear. It's in keeping with his promise. And we're not to lose hope, for God is doing something new. It's not an end per se, as in a complete full stop. It's actually something new is happening again. It's a whole new creation. In fact, this is not a new concept. Uh, Listen to Isaiah 65, verse 17. Uh, The prophet says, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Uh, 600 years before the time of Christ, and there's God speaking through his people. I'm coming back. There's a new heavens and a new earth awaiting Get ready for it. It's been out there. It's not a new concept. So God holds the future, and it's a, it's a bright future. Remember the song, The Future's So Bright, we're going to have to wear shades? Anyone? Am I just dating myself? Does anyone know it? Oh, thanks. Julia, love that. I'm not dying. What? Did you like the song? I don't oh, know. It was a bit weird. I was going to wear some shades so that you might... um. Get the idea, the future is bright when we talk about with God. It's a bright future, it's not a pessimistic future. It's a bright future. It's a future where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, where uh, the scripture says righteousness reigns. It's righteousness, it's the home of righteousness. We can look forward to a brand new eternal home. So don't think God is abandoning this earth. He's not abandoning it. He created the world to start with. Genesis tells us about that. He created the world. It was very good when he breathed life into humanity. It was very good. He then judged it with the time of Noah, and is getting ready for a new time. Romans eight, Isaiah eleven, all talk about this new thing that God is doing. And this word here uh, for new. I'm looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Um. There's two main words for new. Our English language just has one. It's like love. It has a number of meanings in the Greek words that are used. There are many words, but we just have one, love. Um, this word new is interesting. This word is, is a word, um, uh, it's called kinos. It's It's a word that actually means new in quality, new in nature, Whereas the other word for new is just the word called neos. That's another word the Bible uses in the Greek language for new. Um, That means new in terms of time or origin. You know, nothing was there and a brand new thing comes. That's neos, the word. This is not the word that's used here. This actually means new in terms of... uh, It's like a transformation. It's new in terms of quality. Does that make sense? So the Bible's actually distinguishing here for us the fact that this isn't a cut and chuck... But God is actually taking the old and transforming it to make it new again. I like the way God's the original recycler. Um, He doesn't just discard what he made. He made it perfect. He placed us on the planet to enjoy him and to relate to him. And we threw that away through our rebellion. God restored that through the person of Jesus remaking us as people. We're made first and then we're remade in Christ. And he's doing the same with the heavens and the earth. So the word here is quite specific and it's helpful to understand. It's not a break from the past and he's chucking it out. It's actually a transformation. I just love that about God. There's some there's true genius in the way God does things. He, he can renew. Don't you like the thought that he's not just saying, well, you guys are broke, and just sweeps us off the cosmic (laughs) floor, as it were, but he actually remakes and reshapes us. He loves us. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to turn away, but he knows that we do. There's something about that that sits well, I think, as we think about the nature of God. It's not just chucking people away, or his creation for that matter, but he's changing it. He's making it new. That's a pretty cool thing. So that's who holds the future. God holds the future. He's restoring a new heaven and a new earth. And so we get to the final bit of this section, and it's a question that Peter asks of us. How should we then live? Uh, A really important question. So Peter writes, just to close this section off, so then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, this return of Christ and what he's going to do, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as your dear brother Paul also uh, wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. I'm not going to speak on that last little bit. We touched on it last week, but I love the way Peter just talks about Paul writing Scripture with the Holy Spirit and that some of those things are not easy to understand and we need to sit with them. Sometimes when we don't understand, we sort of throw it out. We make up our own understanding sometimes when we don't get it. and That's not a good way to learn how to do study together, how to look at the word together. Let's wrestle with it, even when we find it hard to understand. But here's Peter linking the coming of the new creation with the concept of spurring us on, not not getting disappointed or, or overwhelmed, but actually spurring us on to live in the light of the truth that he's coming back. He's writing here to inspire us, to drive us forward. He uses an expression he's used three times in the letter already, um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and 10 and 15, he says, make every effort to do this. This isn't just, uh, look, if you get time in, in your retirement or on the weekend or when you're not busy with other things, Peter says, when he's teaching about this, that Jesus is coming back, how should we live? He says, make every effort. It's no idle comment. Make every effort to live as we saw before, holy and godly. He says spotless, blameless and at peace. Similar types of words. Be ready for our new home. He takes us back to verse 11, repeats the call to live lives that honour God and reflect his agenda to pursue holy living and display things like the fruit of the Spirit, peace and joy and live like that, live like Jesus lived. Make every effort to do that. And so I can't read that, and just keep going on to the next bit? How am I going here? How are you going here? Are we making every effort to think about the return of Christ, to live as though that matters, that he's coming back? Could you say, can I say, that we're making every effort? I need to sit with that for a while, and maybe you do too. Are there distractions in making every effort like this? Are there things that we're caught up in that Peter would say, what are you doing? That... The Lord's returning. We need to get about his work while we can. And don't forget, it's not some constrictive thing sucking the life out of us. It's the opposite. It's filling us with life, giving us joy and purpose and compassion, reaching out to others, doing mission, enjoying what God has given to us, but doing it with a purpose, making every effort to do it because he is returning. He repeats again in verse 15, the the patience of the Lord. He repeats again, hey, he's not coming back because he's patient. And he's wanting you to get out there and share this message. Do we share Peter's urgency about sharing the gospel? Do we pick up his urgency? Who are you praying for that needs to hear this message? Who in your family, who in your friends, who are you in your, your work colleagues uh, have you got an unreached people group that you've got before you in your, in your times of prayer that you're bringing before the Lord? The Khmer people that the church adopted well over a decade ago, are they still on your heart? We brought that back to the church in the last 12 months to think again about these people that need Christ. Are you praying for the Khmer? People like the Windus family over there, people like the Cook, Steve and Mandy are there, reaching some of these wonderful people for Christ. Are we praying for them? Are we picking up Peter's urgency to live lives that reflect the truth that Jesus said, get on with this, make disciples, share the message of life? Because God's waiting for more people to hear that message. He's given that task to us. It's a responsibility, isn't it? It's why we're here. It's a huge part of why we're here. So we get the privilege to live holy and blameless lives, compassionate, doing the work of meeting needs in Jesus' name, to go and offer a cup of water and, and to do justice. Those things are critical, but we also have the responsibility to share Christ. Both social concern and gospel proclamation, the church has been at odds with each other for years about this. Some people saying, just get out there and meet needs, and others saying, just get out there and preach the gospel. It's clearly both and. Jesus did both The church is to do both. We are to do both. I've said it before, which wing of a plane is more important? Um, The one that's not there, maybe, is a way to answer it. So if we're just meeting needs and, and doing compassionate acts in the name of Christ, where is the gospel proclamation to go with that? It's a fair question. If we're just proclaiming the word of God and we're not out offering a cup of water and helping those caught up in injustice... What's that as well? It's not the way Jesus did it. He did both. We need to be about both, but there is a priority to share the gospel so that people hear the ultimate message of repentance. Are we making every effort? Are we bearing this in mind? So how then should we live? We look forward to his return. We make every effort to live like Christ, to do mission in Jesus' name. It's what our vision is about that's how we truly love God by obeying him with a whole heart it's how we love others by holding out the light of the gospel to them it's about how we serve doing the works of Jesus in his name a compassionate act but the word of the gospel as well that's how we should be living Peter has one more thing to say and we'll pick that up next week the closing paragraph This section was all about, because of what we know is coming, live in light of his return. And it's not just if we have time, church. It's make every effort. We all have to work that out in our own lives. How are you doing with that? Would Peter say, good on you, Menai Baptist Church? Or would he say, have a think about where you're at? maybe balance up some things. I think we need to simply reclaim the passion of living for Christ because he's returning. Let's live lives like him and let's get on with his work to do mission in his name. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we just take a moment uh, sitting before this significant part of your holy word that just reminds us that there is an end coming. But, Father, help us to be people who don't get overwhelmed by that or get pessimistic about it. Mm, There's no point doing anything because God's just going to do what he's doing and the world's a mess anyway. No, Lord, help us to get excited the way Peter did, to live lives that honour you. And, Father, I just hear you saying to me, And to us as a church, Neil, make every effort. MBC, make every effort. To actually hasten the return of Christ by living lives that are holy and blameless, living lives that do the works of Jesus, both as we speak the words of the gospel and as we live lives that bless and do compassion and bring justice to a world that's broken, Thank you, Lord, that you get the brokenness of your world. It's why you sent your son. And you sent him to save the first time, to bring a message of hope. And I pray if anyone here needs to hear that message again, that they would open their hearts to you, even this morning, to say thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus the first time, that through his life and death and resurrection, we can know forgiveness, that our sins are dealt with on the cross. That we need to simply come in repentance, turning back from our way and turning to you. And so for those who might need to be reminded of that this morning, speak to us afresh, Lord. And then for all of us, thank you that you not only came the first time, you are coming back again. What sort of people will we be when you come? Help us to be people who are making every effort to get on with it to reach out to those who need it, to offer a cup of water to those who need that, and to do it all. In the name of Jesus. Amen.